You are listening to Foreseeable, a production of Global is Asian, the flagship digital platform of Singapore's Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. Each episode, we invite one of the school's public policy experts for a conversation relating to their area of expertise and to find out what they foresee happening in the future. We, the citizens of Singapore, pledge ourselves as one united people, regardless of race, language, or religion. The idea of racial harmony is deeply ingrained in Singapore's national identity. The National Pledge, recited daily by school children, says, regardless of race, language, or religion. And yet discussing racial integration remains a touchy subject. Dr. Matthew Matthews is Senior Research Fellow and Head of the Social Lab at the Institute of Policy Studies, where, among other things, he conducts research in race, religion, immigrant integration, family, aging, and poverty. You know, racial integration can be a touchy subject. There's so many fractious issues about it. But from a scientific point of view and, and a policy point of view, and as a social scientist, how do you even define racial integration? I mean, it, it is a multifaceted construct. And uh, I mean, but the biggest issue about integration is really the ability to participate in society without barriers. Uh, due to race, you know, you're able to participate whether it's in employment, uh, normal milieu, social activity, it's politics, whatever. I mean, you are able to do it and uh, your racial background, your religious background uh, doesn't seem to hinder that. It's also, um, when you think about uh, ethnic integration in general, this idea that, uh, I mean, the different parts of uh, different ethnic groups or racial groups can be part of the broader nation state and enjoy, I mean, full participation in it. So that touches on things like, you know, discrimination, anti-discrimination. Um, you're talking about people being, you know, having full access to all the benefits that citizenship has. But then um, are there any ways to measure that, like when you're looking at it from afar? Uh, we tried a few years ago and we did a repeat of that. We tried to break this notion or try to operationalize the notion of racial harmony and that's the term which is often used in Singapore and try to operationalize it into a series of indicators and we came up with what we call the indicators of racial and religious harmony uh, and I mean there are various dimensions of it and certainly there are dimensions about whether people are excluded or included and so it's about perceptions of exclusion from top positions uh, exclusion from a prosperous life, for instance. And of course, there's the other different angles about whether there is within society uh, an interest to understand the other, appreciate the other, uh, buy into a logic that it is not just one racial group that should dominate or should set the agenda, but every racial group has its important contribution towards in the broader nation state. And I mean, look at various kinds of social kind of indicators. Friendships, for instance. I mean, if you think about a society which is integrated, uh, clearly you want to, you expect to see cross-cutting friendships. You expect to see that your people are comfortable with people of other groups, whether it's in very close proximity relationships and, you know, more public kind of relationships. 
I wanted to um, reference the, the remarks that you made recently at that um, forum on religion, extremism, and identity politics. Um, along those lines, you said religious and racial harmony is something that Singaporeans treasure. What exactly did you mean by that? And can you elaborate a bit? Singaporeans are all too familiar with the conditions around them. Uh, in Asia, we know that there are many parts which uh, experience considerable uh, violence. Uh, societies are fractured in different ways. You think about uh, different places, whether it's in Indonesia, Myanmar, uh, definitely parts of South Asia. I mean, you can find fault lines based on race and religion. They're very, very strong ones. And uh, they make people live sometimes quite separately uh, with substantial amount of suspicion. And I'm not saying this all the time, but I mean, it's certainly at different points. Sometimes it's the aftermath of violence. Uh, there's been history, I mean, fairly long histories of violence. And um, so maybe Singaporeans know that. They, they recognize what they see elsewhere. And even in uh, large developed nation states, uh, not just in Asia, but but elsewhere, you also see that from time to time you have got certain kind of ethnic violence, for instance, or some groups uh, feeling very, very upset that they're excluded from the benefits that society uh, gives to other citizens who are not of that particular group. So Singaporeans understand that uh, this is not the path we want to get into. What we have here, the kind of peace, the fact that uh, you don't go onto the street and people shout an insult to you because of your minority or majority racial group. I mean, you don't have uh, explicit or outright attempts to discriminate you in employment. Or, uh, I mean, so in many ways, uh, I mean, people treasure the kind of state we're in. Is there a possibility, though, that it's also taken for granted? Uh, I think there's an assumption that everything extremely hunky-dory Everybody, I mean, there are no racial barriers, for instance, uh, that uh, we have reached a multicultural nirvana that mm-hmm. people think about, that, you know, it doesn't matter what color, what mm-hmm. uh, creed you have, you know, you have, it's just purely your merit which gets you anywhere. But that's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, we certainly have realized, uh, whether it's in the many, po- a lot of polling that we do regularly, we do know that uh, acceptance is not 100%, it's not complete. Uh, different segments of our population feel differently. Uh, we've all come over the years to learn to, uh, at least in the public arena, learn to accept others. But, you know, and privately, we do have our considerations and we have our concerns. Uh, we do have stereotypes. We do have prejudices. These things have not been uh, eroded. There is a little bit of racism mm-hmm. in all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a preference for the in-group. And these are... I mean, the same kind of human condition that affects people everywhere else affects us. Mm-hmm. And and with that, I mean, uh, when when people look at harmony, they, I mean, and the state of harmony, sometimes some groups just forget that others may have a harder time. And, uh, you know, more recently, we've got some minorities who, I mean, who expressed their discontent that, I mean, whether it's a recent brown face instance or different kind of incidences feeling that they may not have got the best deal possible especially because Singapore sets it up as this is something this is such an important part of being a Singaporean the pledge that kids recite daily mm-hmm. tells right. regardless of race language and religion so uh, more and more people call out whenever they find instances where it may not be we have not reached that I mean of course uh, 
the goal is so high, is lofty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and there's an aspiration, of course, to reach as high as possible. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, then this would be, I think, a good time to talk about uh, the different types of government policies and how they affect um, race relations, racial identity, racial integration, and how they've been working and, uh, you know, w- where it's worked and where it hasn't worked. You know, in Singapore, um, separate from Malaysia to form an independent nation state, uh, race is a big part of this. Uh, I mean, I think the founding fathers of Singapore expressed it quite firmly that we are not a Chinese nation, not a Malay nation. This is a nation for all Singaporeans. So there was a strong conviction uh, and that drove various kinds of policies that pushed racial integration. Now, one of uh, the policies uh, which has been talked about very, very often uh, has been the ethnic integration policy. Um, and uh, when it was first introduced, people were fairly upset because this did, uh, I mean, go against people's choices about where they could live. Uh, here you got a policy which demands that in public housing, which is where the great proportion, 80% of Singaporeans live, uh, I mean, people are forced to have to live in integrated settings where uh, there, there are going to be people of different ethnic groups uh, within your I mean, housing estate. And of course, if people of different ethnic groups, that means you also have to accept that there's going to be different languages spoken around where you live, different kind of religious traditions, cultural practices, uh, death rites, funeral rites, wedding practices, the whole gamut of different kind of life experiences. And um, that, of course, also means that if you've got integrated neighborhoods, then your schools tend to be a little bit more integrated. Uh, uh, and of course, that kind of uh, results in quite a bit of, I mean, social mixing, or at least it forces, doesn't mean necessarily just because you have someone who is an ethnic group living next to you as a neighbor that you're chummy friends with them, but it does force you to have to live the reality that there's diversity around you and that becomes a commonplace. So then you build one, a little tolerance for difference, you kind of accept some of that tolerance and, and hopefully over the years some people try to celebrate a little bit more of the differences which are around them. So I, I would say that would been, that's probably been one of the most uh, extensive type of policy, uh, partly because when you make changes in people's living arrangements or where they live, uh, you also make arrangements in schools. Uh, and in schools, uh, with the diversity of the school system, then of course, multicultural education becomes very important. Uh, even in our special schools, we do have some schools which prioritize the teaching and the education of um, Mandarin and Chinese cultural values. But even there, there is push uh, to ensure that there are I mean, students there, despite the fact that they don't have as much contact with uh, minority members, still are schooled in what is expected of a multicultural citizen mm-hmm. and all kinds of attempts to try to get them to, to I mean, have special extra activities with kids from madrasas or kids from other schools where there are a lot more, uh, I mean, a mix of di- a diversity of racial groups. So this kind of attempt to intervene at the neighborhood level has, has proven to be quite successful. Mm-hmm. So you have kind of the, the housing issue or the, the housing sector that's involved. You've got the education sector. Any other, are there any unseen policies that are, pl- that are at play that we might not be so obvious? Uh, well, I mean, I think the, I mean, there's a policy of ensuring that there is representation of the different groups. And you'll see this attempt to represent the different 
races that constitute Singapore, whether it's in a national day parade, whether it's in a, I mean, all kinds of official activities that attempt to do that. The attempts to, uh, I mean, it's not in an attempt. It's by force. If you think about what happens in parliament, you've got the group representation constituencies, which, which essentially force parliament to have a certain number of minorities. Today, people accept the fact that you will never have a parliament which would be uh, monoethnic. You always will see diversity. You always mm-hmm. see uh, someone who is Malay, who is Indian, perhaps Eurasian, all within that group. So this is very important. Uh, recently, when the government worked towards ensuring that there will be a mechanism for the president, uh, I mean, to be of a minority race, at least, I mean, once in 35 years, if you can't get, I mean, by a normal elect, uh, election, you do a restricted election. Mm-hmm. This, I think, demonstrates to the population how much we value in Singapore the whole notion of being multicultural or multiracial. Uh, we do that. We try to, I mean, in some ways or another, try to engineer that so that uh, you can have a parliament which has a mixture of racial groups. You do have a president from time to time who is of a different uh, racial group. I think that's. Uh, I mean, I think that sets a tone for a population to to understand that we live in such a context and we give uh, priority to. Uh, I mean, the fact that race is something to be uh, our racial differences are something to be celebrated. But there's so much more unity we have as Singaporeans. Uh, going back to the housing issue and the integration in the public housing. And that's something that's very unique to Singapore because I don't know of any other countries where 80% of people live in uh, public housing. So I don't know of anywhere else where a policy like that would have such a huge effect on a single population. Do you have any insight on that, like Singapore compared to other countries? And is that is that sort of like a one-time-only policy that could ever be implemented? Our policies of, for instance... Uh, some of the limits we have placed on uh, expression when it comes to to insults or I mean hate against other groups. Different, I mean, societies have hate. I mean, uh, laws against hate crimes. Uh, so that's good. But I think in quite a few societies, I think uh, the notion has been to allow substantial amounts of freedom, uh, even when it comes to denigrating other groups and being very nasty. Singapore is again a very strong. St- stance about that and I think uh, we've not lost out uh, in peeping, people learning how to mind their peace and cues when they think about especially in the public discourse about talking about people who are different uh, racially I think that's something to I mean uh, that quite a few societies I can think about I mean you, it, it needs substantial political will because sometimes it's uh, it's in the interest of the majority and or politicians to allow majority groups when they feel like there are issues with minority communities whether it's racial communities religious communities to to be able to to beat them up and uh, politically if the majority seems to agree to that then you know and yeah i mean there's no way to stop that but really uh i mean singapore has shown i mean we're really 75 percent chinese but the government has taken a strong stance about it even when you've got portions of the majority ethnic group who probably would like to have singapore to be very much more of a chinese society mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's the great majority, but uh, who feel that, you know, I mean, I mean or at least there'll be some who feel that Chinese cultural rights need to be expanded. And uh, uh, there will definitely be those who would feel that 
Chinese heritage and culture is superior to other cultures. But yet you've got a strong state uh, which has sort of reigned in those forces. I think that's important. I mean, think about it. Uh, I mean, that one, these are very unpopular decisions because, I mean, it affects the majority of your population. I think in doing that, uh, I think it's, one, it's built a lot of confidence that minor- minorities are confident that you have a, you have a state, uh, you have a government which uh, treats Singaporeans equally, uh, believes in the ideology of being a multiracial state. So I think Singapore has shown a way that, I mean, your politicians, uh, your leaders do hold on to that uh, very strongly. And I think that's an important uh, contribution. Let's talk about the future then, since this is the foreseeable podcast. So what do you foresee as far as racial integration? Where, where do you foresee this going in, in the next five to ten years, say? The reality is we're going to see a lot more diversity in Singapore. For years, we've looked at the CMIO model. It was a Chinese, Malay, Indian, others model, and that seemed to encapsulate uh, the multiracial relationships we have here. Um, one, we have to keep re-examining what that means. Uh, certainly, it's an important model and it's, it's served. It's, uh, but and more and more people are calling, for instance, for the expansion of models like that. Uh, there are going to be more and more people who would fit the what we call the others category. Uh, where there's just by the sheer force of immigration, you've got people from different places. And, uh, and also just the fact that people, it would no longer be uh, 100% Chinese or 100% Malay or an Indian person, right? They've got hybrid identities. And that obviously calls for a, an attempt to expand how we understand uh, different groups within society. That's one. Of course, with, uh, with increased uh, immigration, and also a lot of Singaporeans are I mean, moving I mean, elsewhere. They emigrate, they come back, they're a few years in. Uh, some part of Asia, there might be a few years in Europe, come back here for a while and move out again. So you see, see some of these movements. And with that, of course, you see, I mean, people bring in uh, cultural ideas, I mean, thoughts, ways of thinking about uh, how to do society uh, back to Singapore. So you find a great, vibrant mix of ideas, of cultures, of backgrounds. And how do you navigate all that? Uh, I mean, the more you see diversity, the the general trend has been that there there's an increase in conflict. On the other hand, I mean, we've tried to build a model in Singapore where people learn that uh, civility, learning how to work together in a common space and keep increasing our common space, that's an important aspect of keeping a nation together. So I think that's been a framework that's been important. So Singaporeans have for a long time learned that despite all the differences, uh, if we can navigate in such a way that we keep expanding the common space, that will be good for our lives here in Singapore. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately in Singapore, people care about ensuring that the I mean, nation state thrives and survives. And uh, I mean, we are economically competitive. We are able to have the best jobs and the best companies coming. So we don't want to be a place where people shun because, you know, either we're xenophobic, we reject different kinds of people. Uh, what if it's people from Latin America who soon, uh, I mean, come up with great discoveries at the the best starters of new technology? I mean, 
we'll have to find a place for them to be able to be here. Same goes with Africa, different parts of Asia. Um, so I think it's it's that the ability of Singaporeans to be able to accept, to be open to that kind of diversity, which is very, very crucial, will help them to navigate what's going to happen in the, the years to come. Uh, especially if the common vision is to to keep making this place the harmonious uh, place. We're not, we're not the multicultural nirvana yet, but that does not mean we can't aspire towards being a society where really uh, trappings of, of our, you know, our backgrounds don't become such an impediment. Great. Well, thank you very much. I think that's, I think that's perfect. Thank you. For more information or to subscribe to our newsletter, go to lkyspp.edu.sg forward slash GIA or join our Facebook group at Global Is Asian. That's Global I-S-A-S-I-A-N.